the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Don't get rapid flu A. Now, I would guess that uh, getting rapid flu B wouldn't be a good idea either, but that's not what I had. I tested positive for rapid flu A. And I was told by the doctor at MedExpress that, that there is a rapid, rapid flu B out there. I think he said that A was worse, so I got lucky with that. And by the way, they also tested me for COVID, and I was negative. So as it turns out, I've only worked one day since the week before Christmas, and I've been out six since showing up to work last Tuesday. So have I missed anything? Um, I do want to thank the many people who called the station asking if I had been fired, some of whom were hoping that that was the case a special thanks to the family members who called to, um, you know, contribute to the illusion. And now that I think of it, there may have been some family members who called hoping I had been fired. But anyway, at least they called. But here I am, and I just wanted to let you know that rapid flu A made me sicker than I've ever been. And I did have COVID at one point. So if you know of anyone who has rapid A, stay away from them. Now, I wasn't able to pay much attention to the news for the last week or so. I spent most of my time either coughing or sleeping, but I don't get the impression that things have gotten any better. Um, but we are getting closer to the point where people are actually going to be voting, I guess, or at least caucusing next week. And, and two things that struck me during my uh, foggy recuperation is that the more I see of Nikki Haley, the less I like her. And the more I see of Vivek Ramaswamy, the more I like him. Now, I'm sure there are some things in his past that they'll be digging up to make me like him less. But it would be fun to see him get the nomination just to see Joe Biden try to debate this guy. That would be just amazing to watch. And seeing him debate Kamala Harris might be a good enough reason for Trump to pick uh, Vivek, Vivek, Vivek as his VP. But anyway, we do have a show today. And when we come back, the stupidity of the idiots in Philadelphia who thought canceling William Penn would be a good idea. And in our second half hour, the mystery of the disappearing Secretary of Defense. Stick around. Well, they came for William Penn, you know, the guy who founded Pennsylvania. But the, uh, the people said no. Somebody in a position of authority in Philadelphia thought, it would be a good idea to remove the statue of William Penn from a federal park in the city there. And then they backed down when there was a major uproar. John Daniel Davidson is senior editor at The Federalist. He joins us now. John, good to have you back on. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me. So um, before we get into your piece today on what this is really about, at least your opinion, I agree with you. Um, what about the pure stupidity of this? Because uh, this is a stuff, this is a part of this that just drives me insane. If, if you remove, remove a statue of William Penn, because William Penn, for some reason, is offensive to some groups and bad, bad for business, 
how can you retain the name of the state if you get rid of the statue? You can't be Pennsylvania anymore. It just It's just so stupid that it, I don't even know how they begin to think that they could get away with removing the statue. Because my next question would be, when do you change the name of the state? I'm offended. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's not supposed to make sense. Uh, and it doesn't make sense even on uh, the most uh, slightest scrutiny, right? And yeah. we've seen this elsewhere. You see schools like Yale having a big problem with uh, uh, and, uh, different parts of their campuses named after, you know, former slaveholders. Right. Of course, Yale, the, the name of Yale, if they want to get rid of former slaveholders, then they should, they'd have to change the name of Yale, who was a, who, who was a prolific slaveholder and slave trader. Yeah. They're not going to do that, of course, because it, it's not really about history. None of this is about history. None of it is about the details or facts from our nation's past. The only thing it's about is political power in the present. And as I say in my piece, asserting tyranny over a free people. That's what it's about. And that's why you have these sort of arguments that don't make sense, uh, you know, historical arguments that don't make sense. There's nothing offensive about William Penn from a historical perspective. In fact, he was quite, uh, you might even say, progressive or enlightened at the time in his attitude toward Native Americans, for example. And, and anyone who knows anything about history knows that. So this isn't about history. This is about power. Yeah, and the amazing thing is that it, it works, or it has been working. What do you think was the difference in Philadelphia? Well, the difference in Philadelphia, I think, uh, was that the Democrat, sort of centrist Democrat governor, Josh Shapiro, apparently stepped in once this thing kind of blew up, I think, a lot of the um, state officials were blindsided by this decision uh, by the Obama administration to remove the statue as part of a rehabilitation of, of Welcome Park. Now, if anybody, you know, is whoever is familiar with Philadelphia knows that Welcome Park, you know, it's part of the downtown kind of independent small area where uh, there, there's a, a whole bunch of historical sites and exhibitions related to the nation's founding. It's a big tourist attraction. Uh, it, you know, tourism to this area of the city makes up a big part of the city's economy. Uh, Pennsylvanians take great pride in this, you know, their history. Um, uh, you know, it's not like Penn was a Confederate general, right? And right. so, uh, so somebody, you know, thought better of it, said, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, we're, we're going to, uh, push back on the Biden administration about this. Um, and then quietly, the National Park Service issued a press release yesterday saying, oh, we're not going to remove the statue after all. They never gave a reason for removing it, and they never gave a reason for changing their mind. Um, in this case, I'm sure it had to do with the, the, the governor stepping in and putting pressure on the Biden administration. But the impulse on the part of the administration to do this in the first place, the impulse that because William Penn was a white man, who lived in the 17th century, he must be erased from our public life and public spaces. That impulse is there, alive and well, in the federal bureaucracy. It has, again, nothing to do with the Confederacy, nothing to do with slavery or traitors or Jefferson Davis or the South. This is part of a political ideology that is about erasing the past, 
for the purpose, the explicit purpose of going after people, political enemies in the present. And this is what we've seen in communist and socialist ideological movements all over the world. It's always the same. It starts with books and statues, and eventually it moves on to people. And this is what's amazing to me. Well, first of all, you mentioned that the uh, uh, the what is the the national parks um, released the um, released the, the statement that they weren't going to remove it. And you mentioned that they didn't say why they decided to, and then why they decided not to. Now, maybe it's me. I haven't seen a, a name attached to the decision to do it. Um, right. Uh, and then that seems to also be missing from these things. Um, where is the person who came up with this idea, and where are the media, or where is someone in the media demanding to speak to that person or to get that person on the record for why he or she decided to do it? They don't, they don't seem to want to come out of the woodwork for that. No, they never do when, when these kinds of decisions are made. It's always, you know, couched in very vague language, uh, you know, attributed to some committee or yep. some process. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's all nameless. There's, there's never any accountability. And as for the media, you know, the corporate media outlets that, uh, you know, that the comms shop at the National Park Service would be inclined to respond to are never going to ask that question anyway because they support this kind of a thing. Um, you think the New York Times is going to send a reporter to go investigate who's responsible for this decision at the National Park Service? No. Now, the, 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 the staff of the New York Times, the editorial staff of the New York Times or the Washington Post or NBC News or any of these other outlets would be more than happy to see every statue fall. Uh, whether it was of a Confederate or George Washington or William Penn, doesn't matter. Um, and so it's, it's a real problem. The, accountab- the accountability problem is real. and It's one of the reasons that this stuff happens in the first place is because the bureaucrats and the ideologues that are staffing these federal agencies know that the media will run cover for them, just as the top officials in the Biden administration know the same. They're all kind of on the same page uh, and, and working toward the same goal when it comes to sort of this cultural revolution type of stuff that they're always pushing. I wonder what kind of an answer you'd get from Corinne Jean-Pierre today if, <laughs> if someone would ask her, uh, was the president okay with removing the William Penn statue? She would say, well, I, that's, that you'd have to take that up with uh, the statue department. That's the way she answers questions. That's right. That's, right. that's exactly what she'd say. I mean, she says that's about stuff that's directly under the White House's purview. Right. So, uh, you know, there's no way you'd ever get a straight answer from these people. And that's part of part of the disingenuousness of it all is that they know it's not popular. They know that ordinary Americans look at this stuff and say, taking down a statue of William Penn, uh, you know, why are you taking down a statue in the first place? Um, and and, and they, they don't want it to be, you know, something that is widely talked about, because if it's widely talked about and widely understood, uh, it wouldn't be popular, and there would be outrage as there was this time, which is one of the great virtues, uh, for example, of having a somewhat free social media mm-hmm. platform like Twitter, is that these things can kind of rise to the surface, and there can be a little bit of backlash every once in a while. Um, but yeah, for the most part, they don't want to publicize this stuff because people hate it. But everything is about politics uh, with them, so why is this somehow considered good politics? Well, it's uh, uh, it's not considered good politics from a you know sort of electoral standpoint. Yeah. 
it's good politics from a leftist revolutionary standpoint. Mm -hmm. Look at what the Biden administration is doing with their campaign. They are setting up as the premise of their campaign that the president's political opponents in the GOP are insurrectionists and traitors who belong in prison. That the president's chief political rival, former President Donald Trump, should be in prison. And if he's not in prison, he shouldn't be allowed to be on the ballot. You shouldn't be allowed to vote for him because he's a traitor. He's an insurrectionist. Um, look at the way Hillary Clinton talked about Trump supporters in 2016 as deplorables, racists, uh, people who you know shouldn't have a share in the American inheritance. That's how these people think. And so uh, there's a connection there between their desire to topple statues, rename buildings, ban books, uh, push radical uh, curriculum on our children, uh, you know, both historical revisionism, racist curriculum, trans ideology, it's connected. And, it's, and the, way, the reason it's all connected is because they would very much like to dismantle the system of democratic self-governance that we have in this country. And they would like to impose a new system in which they get to decide everything. And destroying our past and destroying our history is part of that. It's part of a program to impose tyranny on us. And I think people need to start recognizing it for what it is and stop having, you know, debates about the historical merits of this or that statue. That's a losing game. Well, what about Confederate monuments? Uh, last month, the, the Biden administration dismantled and removed the uh, Confederate memorial at Arlington. Why is that a problem? It's a problem for the same reason that trying to remove the statue of William Penn is a problem. Again, it has nothing to do with the merits of the Confederacy or the merits of a particular monument. I, you know, I have spent most of the, uh, uh, the better part of a decade periodically trying to defend these monuments, explain the history of them, how they came to be, who it was that was behind the creation of them. In the case of the Confederate Memorial at Arlington, it was President William McKinley, a Union veteran, uh, who, with other Union veterans, spearheaded the effort to get a Confederate memorial in that cemetery. But it doesn't matter. Debating the history of this stuff doesn't matter because it's not about the history. They don't care what the history is. They care about revolution right now and power right now. That's what they're doing. And so I, I think we sort of like if we accept the premise that like some statues are problematic, you've given away the game. Mm -hmm. I reject the premise, and I think that the new standard going forward for the right should be no statues move ever. I don't care what it's a statue of. Now, Victoria Taft pointed out in a piece at uh, PJ Media today, I happen to notice, I think I've seen it before, but um, there's a statue of Lenin in a park in Seattle, and there's never been anybody complain about it, apparently, to ask right. to have it removed. Lenin. That's right, because because uh, again, they they're, they're, uh, they don't care about the history. Yeah. In fact, the the Lenin statue makes sense for the left because uh, because he did what they would very much like to do. He was here. misunderstood. <laughs> True communism has never been tried. Yeah, right? yeah, right, right. Well, yeah, you do come right out, and we're talking to uh, John Daniel Davison, senior editor at the Federalist. You actually come out and said it in your piece. No statue should come down ever for any reason. Um, 
Do you, what are your, how do you like the chances of the Republicans getting on board with that? Because I like the idea. Well, I don't have much hope that the Republicans, as currently constituted, will get on board with it. We've already seen uh, Republicans capitulate time and time again on, on these kinds of issues, accepting the premise of the left that there's something offensive or emotionally distressing about a statue. Give me a break. When this issue first came up, if the Republicans had any spine, if they knew how to do politics like the Democrats do, they would have laughed in their faces at the idea that a statue causes somebody emotional distress. Give me a break. It doesn't cause anyone emotional distress. That's, that's a, a manipulative argument intended to strong arm conservatives and Republicans into accepting the premise. And once you accept the premise, the game is up. So I think we need to stop accepting the premise. And that goes not just for the statue issue, but a whole host of cultural warfare issues that the left is trying to push on transgenderism, Mm -hmm. on critical race theory, uh, you know, you name it. They are trying to get their opponents to accept the premise that there's something offensive or wrong about American history, about American society, about uh, there are only being two genders. <laughs> uh, what, whatever it is, I think we need to understand what the game is here and reject the premise. And, you know, for what it's worth, I don't think he has much shot in the in the 2024 primaries. But Vivek Ramaswamy has been very good about this in his dealings with the media in rejecting the res- absurd premises of the questions that they've been throwing at him. Yeah, that's on another subject. But the more I hear from him, the more I like him. I, maybe I, there's something wrong with me, but... He seems to make way too much sense too often. Um, but I do, I do notice here that when statues are left alone, they don't seem to bother anybody. That's been something that I have, uh, I just, with my observations, when, if you just leave a statue standing there, it's probably not going to bother you. You know, it's, they, they, they seem to be... They're kind, great. Um, and I, I, you might I, actually learn something from it, too. If you, right. if you take the time to, like, you know, find out a little bit about the statue... You know, read the plaque. I'm all for more statues. Let's have more statues, mm-hmm. more commemorative plaques. Uh, you know, it, the statuary and memorials and cemeteries and monuments are part of our built environment that connects us to the past. And I think that's a good thing. And I think any self-governing people need to be connected to their past and understand it. Um, and, and the desire to destroy or erase the past is the impulse of a totalitarian mindset that's deeply anti-American. Well, I'm, uh, John, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time here in the next few days looking into who um, Amerigo Vespucci was. I mean, I know that's who America was named after, but I really never checked to see if he might have owned a slave or uh, captured some land that he shouldn't have had, and I'm hoping I, I can think he find... might have had a... Yeah, he had some problematic opinions, I think. Yeah, and uh, maybe we need to start thinking about changing the name of the country. That would be something that uh, maybe some people could get behind. What a total, (laughs) what just stupidity is out there. It's unbelievable that it continues, but I appreciate you fighting back, and always good to have you on the show to talk about it, John. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Okay, John, Daniel Davidson, The Federalist. I'll be right back. Well, this just in, Lloyd Austin had a urinary tract infection. The Pentagon was nice enough to release that information around 2.30. It's nice to know that he's going to be fine. He's back to work. What may not be fine is how long he went missing. Dakota Wood is Senior Research Fellow for Defense Programs at the Heritage Foundation, and he joins us now. 
Dakota, thanks for coming on. It is great to be with you. Thanks for having me. So why is it a big deal that the president didn't know where his secretary of defense was for, what, three days? Uh, Number six in line for the presidency. The secretary of defense is the conduit through which you would order any kind of use of nuclear weapons. Wars in Ukraine, war in Gaza, crazy Houthi rebels out of Yemen disrupting international shipping traffic. Uh, Chinese are, you know, dangerous in their provocative actions in the Indo-Pacific region. Um, you know, it's just the world is in a really dicey situation. And you go, you know, four or five days without knowing, I mean, no communication with the Secretary of Defense. It's just weird. It's just really weird. Well, um, we have the Commander-in-Chief, who's the President. Is, mm-hmm. is the Secretary of Defense the um, Vice Commander-in-Chief, basically? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, he's the one that has operational command authorities over all U.S. military services. He deals directly with the geographic combatant commanders, you know, our senior military guys in Europe and uh, out in the Pacific and and, uh, AFRICOM and and the Southern Command and all that stuff, uh, manages the Pentagon, uh, what, a $840 billion budget. Uh, That is the single officer, the cabinet-level official, who's the direct report to the president in his role as commander-in-chief of the U.S. military. So anything having to do with defense policy or use of military forces is going to involve the secretary of defense. There's nobody else who does that. I mean, Austin has a deputy secretary of defense, Kathleen Hicks, but, uh, you know, it's not really the same thing. So I guess what's worse, the president not knowing where this is a secretary of defense or not knowing that the secretary of defense mm-hmm. was not working or the secretary of defense not letting the president know he was out of out of commission well i think you nailed it there they're, they're both bad um you know you would want the i mean the president can't know everything all the time so he's got a core group of advisors he has the National Security Council. It's populated with probably 150 people or so. And there are communications that go on between those top-tier individuals and the various departments, you know, Department of State, Energy, Defense, Commerce, and all that. And that's a daily sort of thing. But when you're talking about the, the primary official, you know, the Secretary of Defense, for nobody at the White House level to have been in any kind of communication and not think that that's odd is a very weird thing. Now, if you're the secretary, it's your job to make sure that everybody above you and below you knows what your status is. Now, Secretary Austin is famous for being a very, very private individual, but you have to give up some of that privacy if you're going to inhabit one of these very senior offices. You just can't disappear for a week. You'll not tell your deputy, uh, your chief of staff not telling anybody else, the military assistants to the secretary who are all general officers um, at that level. And, and it didn't occur to somebody that their boss was not in communications, you know, that they weren't informing all the operational components to include the intelligence services about the status of this singularly important individual. So on both sides of that, you know, word up, out and down and across, uh, there, there is a, a real problem, there's a real misjudgment on the part of Austin. And it calls into question for members of Congress and especially our adversaries. You know, if you're in Beijing or Moscow and Tehran, how does this make U.S. competency look 
And it does that incentivize you then to take risks because there's nobody minding the store back in the U.S. So I guess for a hypothetical, I mean, what happens if um, the I'm trying to think of an example. I'll go with a crazy one. You know that the yeah. the, the Russians have invaded Poland, um, and uh, Joe Biden is how quickly when that happens is the is is the uh, is the inclination to call the Secretary of Defense. It would be immediate, and in that kind of an extreme situation, you know, invading Poland, the Chinese decide to invade Taiwan, yeah. uh, Israel conducts an attack on, on Iran, fearing, you know, it's a near nuclear power. So there's lots of things that could happen. Your communications network would just light up like no tomorrow. So people would be making all kinds of calls, and the people who are closest to the secretary would immediately know that there's something wrong, right? So you would have a few minutes of delay while they're trying to sort things out. And part of the problem would be if the secretary was in an intensive care unit, was he immediately accompanied by the secure communications, you know, cell phone, uh, radio satchel, the ability to have uh, classified, you know, communications in that sort of a setting, or would it take time to get that thing set up? So the network would light up and be very, very responsive to that, but you have introduced delays, even if measured in minutes, that shouldn't have been there um, otherwise. So if the Secretary of Defense isn't home, who do you call? Well, it would immediately go to a couple things. It would go to the Deputy Secretary, who was on vacation in Puerto Rico. Yeah. So that's you know, not unusual, but that puts her in an awkward sort of position. And then you would have the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So you have members, senior representatives of all the services, and they actually act as kind of a command center monitoring everything that the Department of Defense does. So you would have these mechanisms to get word out or bring intelligence in, but that key individual being out of position and any delay getting him involved in this thing would have caused some problems. We're talking to Dakota Woody, Senior Research Fellow for Defense Programs at the Heritage Foundation, and as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, the the um, the administration has finally uh, said that Lloyd Austin had a urinary tract infection. Not that it matters what the affliction was. Right. It's uh, you know, how he dealt with it. But um, it, so the fact that this happened, um, Dakota, um, is this, I was going to say, more evidence or is it clear evidence that Joe Biden isn't really running things, that this could possibly happen? Yeah, so I'm not going to you know, dance around this. I think it's actually both, you know, that people can get very complacent. Things are running well. You didn't have an emergency or you need somebody right there. You might be talking. The president might not be talking to the secretary, but surely there are other people, you know, talking to them and things are going along OK and ships are sailing and planes are flying and all that. So you wouldn't know that there's a problem until there's a problem. Right. So on that part, you can almost understand the complacency that comes along with the normal things that go on during the day. But what it does say is that there clearly is a problem if the normal mechanisms that are making sure that you know where everybody is at in these very key positions, you know, the director of national intelligence, the head of the CIA, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, who was on a trip 
you know, to Israel here the past few days, you know, in, in the Middle East. I mean, these are key officials, and they have aides and, and administrative support and people who carry around special bags with, with uh, special equipment in them all the time. And it is normal procedure for these key individuals to have a daily schedule and to be in constant contact so everybody knows where they're at. That part there broke down. So uh, there's going to be a big review about, you know, making sure this never happens again, but it should never have happened to begin with. And what are the chances of somebody paying any kind of a price for any of this? Uh, well, you know, the White House is circling its wagons. You know, they're saying that uh, that President Biden has said that he wouldn't accept the secretary's uh, resignation, even if it was offered. You know, is this truly a fireable offense or is just a huge embarrassment, you know, of some kind of a, a, a misjudgment? Uh, that didn't hazard, you know, the security of the country in, in that sense. But it was just stupid. I mean, it was just a stupid, uh, a non-thinking sort of thing where where the secretary felt that his privacy or this is no big deal, you know, prostate cancer, you know, I don't know, maybe he thought that was embarrassing or something like that or that things could be handled. Uh, but whatever that rationale was, it wasn't smart. Will somebody be canned, like thrown under a bus as a sacrificial lamb? If anybody, it would probably be the chief of staff, um, a woman who presumably or reportedly was dealing with the flu and not quite where she would have needed to be. But even in that instance, she would have a deputy, right? So somebody should have been minding things. And that that didn't happen, uh, I think, just to satiate the desire in both the Democrats and the Republicans in Congress that this can be some kind of correction. And I think we should probably expect that somebody will resign as a consequence. And it's probably the chief of staff. That's my speculation. Now, um, just um, all of this aside, uh, as a uh, senior research fellow for defense programs at the Heritage Foundation, um, what's been your opinion of the job that Lloyd Austin has been doing? Uh, well, not real well. He doesn't like to deal with Congress, and yet one of the primary jobs of a service chief, a service secretary, like Secretary of the Navy or the Air Force or, or, the, or the, um, um, the Secretary of Defense, is making the case for what the Defense Department needs in, in, in your interactions with Congress. And, and Austin just doesn't do that, you know, very well. And so he's a you know loyal servant to the White House and in terms of carrying out the policy. That's why you have political appointees for the president, you know, in any of these departments. And so he's been executing the agenda, but he just really hasn't been out there front as kind of the face of the department, you know, like a Jim Mattis or other secretaries uh, that have been in that position uh, there in the past. So I think a lot of folks are going to be kind of glad when this administration comes to an end and, and new faces, new blood comes into it. Uh, he hasn't done things that are horribly wrong, but a lot of these social policy agendas seem to have been of greater importance than combat readiness, uh, defense programs that come in on time and on budget, and this capacity issue, you know, the recruiting problems and the shrinking of the U.S. military, uh, given the, the state of the world that we're having to deal with. And uh, just finishing up here, um, you were a uh, you were in the Marine Corps for many years. And serve yeah, yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, what? How much does the who the Secretary of Defense is matter to the rank and file? 
Um, on a day-to-day basis, not much at all. I mean, you've got your task. You're going out to the range to shoot or some kind of maneuvers or, you know, your pay is coming in. I mean, at the rank and file level, it really doesn't matter who the big boss is because it's so many levels of authority above you. But there are these perceptions, right? Do I want to stay in the military? Um, am I trying to convince other people to join? And if it just seems that things are out of whack, right, then it lessens your desire to remain engaged in that. And parents who might be influencing, you know, their high school students, what are you going to do after you graduate? Um, if you need a bigger defense budget, well, things sure seem to be screwy over there in the Pentagon. Why would I want to give them another nickel? So it's the perceptions, I think, that really impact um, uh, the viability of the military from one year to the next. Hey, Dakota, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, Filling us in on what uh, Lloyd Austin or any Secretary of Defense is supposed to do, and we'll see where this goes. I appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Take care. Okay, that's Dakota Woods, Senior Research Fellow for the Defense Programs at the Heritage Foundation. Well, maybe I'll uh, see them a little bit later on when uh, I watch maybe the news tonight, but I haven't seen what the um, official statement has been from um, Karine Jean-Pierre about the uh, Lloyd Austin thing. But I did see this, and, here's what, and again, as I mentioned in our interview with John Daniel Davidson, if you were to ask, if someone from the media would ask her, does Joe Biden, was he okay with removing the William Penn statue? She would say, well, uh, let me be clear. Um, I, I would think that you would. Uh, I would let me refer you to our statue department for that. Anything she doesn't want to answer, that's what she says. She's, well, uh, you'll have to refer to our Hunter Biden department for that. Or the, it's just it's, there's never it's never possible for her to answer. So Newsbusters, which is great, Newsbusters.org, they uh, did some you know year end cleanup stuff looking back at all the things that they did in 2023 and the things they found out. So they were able to go back and examine White House transcripts of every briefing Jean-Pierre conducted in 2023. They recorded every question she was asked about one of three major scandals faced by President Biden, his alleged mishandling of classified documents as vice president, the corruption allegations against the Biden family, and the mysterious bag of cocaine found in the West Wing. And here's what they found at Newsbusters. This is is why they're great. Of 337 scandal-related questions that White House reporters asked Jean-Pierre, she provided a definitive answer to eight of them. That's 3.37%. I'm sorry, 2.37%. Uh, that, and it says here, this figure tracks very closely with our findings from the first half of 2023, in which the press secretary answered only six of 252 questions, which was 2.38%. And uh, if you want to check it out at newsbusters.org, they actually have a compilation, a video compla- compilation of her being asked these questions and uh, I'm sure you'll get a laugh out of it. I don't have time to play it here, but and if it works, maybe I'll 
figure out a way to put it on the air here tomorrow. But check it out at newsbusters.org. So it's good to be back. Um, I appreciate, the, again, the people calling, even the people who may have called and hoping I was fired. You know, at least you're interested, you know? At least you know I exist. And uh, I'll see if I make it. I, I, I appear to have made it through show number one. I'm not promising anything for tomorrow, but if all things work out, I'll talk to you then. Bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.